0: Isn't it amazing how much you can communicate with one simple word, dad. All of the moments of celebration, the moments of worry, the moments of anxiety, the moments of crisis where a child can just say, dad, and he's there for him. I think it speaks even more than probably we can think of as you think of your own memories with your father or the person that you think of like a father. You know the, The man who influenced your life and partly shaped who you've become. And so as we're here today, that's part of what we want to do is just to celebrate dads. So for dads and grandpas in the room, can I just say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you share wisdom with us. Thank you for the ways that you share humor, even if we don't always laugh at your jokes. (laughs) Thank you for the ways that you teach us. You know, how many of us, it's our dad that taught us how to swing a baseball bat, or a golf club, or or a tennis racket, you know, who sat with us to do homework, even when you could kind of tell they didn't totally understand the homework either. You're getting frustrated together, but you're still trying. Because I think there's a lot about being a dad that really is just about showing up, just being there. And you know, um, yesterday I was at a bookstore with my wife, and one of the things that, happens to me as a dad if, if you're a dad maybe this happens to you too but it's like I want to win father of the year every year but there are those times that I am lying awake at night like I think I have failed everything so far <laughs> right and as your kids get older you get that feeling oh my goodness and I'm running out of time to fix it and so we're standing in this bookstore and in the parenting section here's the whole shelf that's like just books for dads And I kid you not, it's like a 50-50 split. Half of the books are how to be a better dad, including there was one with like a a pro tip for dads for 365 days of the year. Like, whoops, Uh uh-oh. Oh, man. I gotta start trying like right now, you know, and it's like you're feeling all the pressure to be good enough. So the other half of the books were Showing yourself grace as a father. <laughs> how to be compassionate towards yourself when you fail as a dad. I thought, is not that, like, I need one of each, I think, you know. How to try harder and how to, how to feel better when trying harder doesn't work. Uh, so dads, we know it's, it's hard to be a parent, isn't it? There's a lot of challenge to it, but we love it too. And so if you're celebrating your dad today or remembering your father today, we're just celebrating with you. You know, I have four kids of my own. And so that, that video, just hearing dad, 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 Or with my kids, a lot of times it's like, Dad. And I get that too, right? I think, you know, the the way it is with dads, it's a lot of wisdom, it's a lot of dad jokes. Because you know this, right? Like, if you're a dad, that means when a child says, I need you, you say, That's what I'm here for. And when a child says, I'm hungry, you say, Hi, hungry, I'm dad. Okay, I promise that's the only one I'll do today. <laughs> My kids laughed so hard the first time I did that. I don't know why they don't laugh anymore. But, but today we're going to look deeper into the life of a man in the Bible who experienced something that for some of us is probably true. He was trying to figure out who he was as a man. What he was going to pass down to his kids. What there was from his past, his history, his dad that he wanted to carry forward or what he might want to let go of. Because as we continue in 2 Kings, in some ways we've seen a lot of examples of fathers and sons. Right, how many times it says, and his son was this, and then his son became king, and then his son became king. But a lot of those are relatively negative examples. So today we're honing in on a man named Hezekiah. Now his father was Ahaz, who we saw Ryan kind of talked us through last week. Ahaz had a lot of issues. You know, he did a lot of things that were harmful to himself harmful to his family, ultimately harmful as king to the entire nation. And so now we're going to see Hezekiah step up, and what is it going to look like for him to learn maybe some of the good things from his dad, some of his dad's mistakes, but ultimately to look to God as his heavenly father. And so if you look in 2 Kings chapter 18, it says that now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So that's the big difference with Hezekiah from a lot of the kings that we've seen. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Right, so he's gonna be one of the good kings. And if you haven't been tracking our Second Kings series, don't panic if you don't recognize a lot of the places or a lot of the names that you see today. In one sense, a big reason that those are there is because as God is laying out the Bible, he wants you to know these are real people in real places, in real history. This is their real life. So that what we're hearing today is not mythology, it's not Aesop's fables. This was a real guy who had to figure out what his relationship with his dad was like and what his relationship with God was like. How that impacted the kingdom and the places that he was a leader. So even if you don't understand all the names, we want to hone in on Hezekiah. Because the details here are so that we know it's real. Which is why it can be a little interesting to think, but didn't they get one of the details wrong? It says, uh, Hezekiah the son of Ahaz... And then it says that he did according to all the things his father David had done. Well, so which is it? Who's his dad? Ahaz or David? Well, the way the Bible often lays this out is that it doesn't really talk about fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. It's just your father, right? The man who raised you. And then anybody from the generations before that are your fathers. So Ahaz is the man who raised Hezekiah. This was the dad that he would know at home. But as he's beginning to look at his life, he's looking for an example to follow. And he looks further back through the generations to David, this famous king who was described as a man after God's own heart. Now this is one of the scary things about being a dad, right? Uh, It was true for us as kids, and it's true for our kids too. A lot of the way they grow is by following the examples of other people, including our own, right? And you hear these super convicting things like, more is caught than taught Uh (laughs) uh-oh because i'm telling my kid think like this act like that do these things and then i look at him oh man they are acting exactly like me (laughs) and i could tell you with each of my four kids like each of their bad habits that it's like oh oh no i think they got that from me like i'm trying to pass down good things but somehow they're catching this other stuff too so hezekiah kind of recognizes that in himself because remember he's only 25 when he becomes king And the primary example of a man in his life was Ahaz, but he's looking further. He's looking for another example to follow. And so the encouragement, I think, for us this morning is that you can honor your history to shape your legacy. So there are some quality things from Ahaz, like his military prowess, some of the ways that he defended his people that Hezekiah does pick up on. But there are also maybe other things that you're looking back to another mentor, to a grandfather, to a great-grandfather, You know, to people whose lives you've studied that you say, hey, that's something I want to carry forward from my history that I'm trying to pass on to my own children, to the people around me. And so that is what Hezekiah is trying to do as he reflects not only on his own life, but on the life of his dad as well. And one of the best, I think, parenting tips that I learned early on when I had kids, I think we only had Belle at the time, and she was maybe like two. Um, And my friend Bob had passed away and Bob was probably about 75 when he died so he was obviously relatively older than me but Bob was an athlete so Bob was like 12 sports in high school and varsity and all of them kind of athlete like he was just good at everything with the jacket covered in letters Uh, and that was how he was his entire life like everything was sports for Bob even actually the day that he died he went out for a run that morning And so it was really interesting that at his funeral, his son, Rhett, got up to speak about him. And one of the first things that Rhett said was not about cooking out on the grill. It wasn't about sitting in the yard. It wasn't about playing sports. Rhett said, you know, I've never liked sports. And my dad's life was all about sports. And I'm sitting back here. I'm like, oh, man, this is about to be awkward. Rhett said, I like politics. I was always interested in student government and things like that that I knew my dad just thought was boring. But every day after school when I came home, my dad would ask me how student government went. And he would take me to the library and help me find books about famous politicians like Abraham Lincoln or people that I wanted to be more like. And he never pressured me to be an athlete like he was. And as he explained that about his dad, one of the things that he pointed out was how he felt like that helped shape how he thought about God because his dad looked at him and tried not only to shape and lead and teach him, but also to learn who he was, to care about who Rhett was and the things that Rhett was interested in. And and it served Rhett pretty well because I actually knew Rhett as the mayor of the city where we were living. And one of the things that he took into his fatherhood and when he was a dad and into his career in politics was that he wanted to be like Bob, not an athlete, but somebody who was always willing to listen to what was interesting or important to somebody else. That's a really cool way to think through his history, to honor that as he carries forward his own legacy. Now for Hezekiah that would have been a little bit more difficult because as we said and as we saw last week, the relationship with Ahaz would have been strained. You know, that There was a lot that Ahaz was doing that honestly was destructive. And I know for some of you that that probably has been part of your experience as well. And so one of the things that Hezekiah is looking at is what are the things he wants to let go of that may have been part of that. And so in verse 4 it says that he removed the high places, he broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Which is just a play on the words for bronze and snake. Kind of smashing them into one name so they could worship it as a god. Now if you were here uh, some months ago, I guess last year at this point, for our series in Numbers. When we learned about this bronze snake, like Moses was told by God to make this snake and set it up. Because whoever looked at the snake just by believing God would be healed. And when you fast forward to the life of Jesus, in John 3, like where we get John 3, 16 from, Jesus actually points to the bronze snake and says, I'm just like the snake. If you just believe in me, you'll be forgiven of your sins and healed. So this is actually something God gave them to be a good thing. Which is such a great metaphor for what idols really are. A lot of times it's a good thing and we turn it into God. They're literally bowing down to the bronze snake that was supposed to point them to Jesus. And so Hezekiah says, we're getting rid of the high places. We're getting rid of the idols. We're even getting rid of the bronze snake because you people can't control yourselves. (laughs) That he wants to remove all these idols. And this is one of those places where the history of 2 Kings is almost 3,000 years ago now. This is about 700, 750 B.C. And so you can look at it and just roll your eyes at these ancient, archaic, morons bowing down to idols and snakes right but the reality is when you when you dig into this history it's not really about the little statue that they have in front of them it's what the statue represents and all of these idols that they were building these things that they were worshiping it's the god of power it's the god of pleasure it's the god of money that sounds awfully modern day doesn't it You know, that these are the things that Hezekiah was saying, I don't want power, pleasure, and money to be in control of my life. And so even as he is going to remove those things, he's going to look for things to put in their place. And so here's the encouragement from Hezekiah. Reject passivity. I think that is one of the most convicting things, but one of the best things that I've learned as a dad. And I actually took that phrase right out of the authentic manhood material that we do with our men's groups here from time to time at Horizon. So way early teaser, but Authentic authentic Manhood is coming again in October. So go home this afternoon and find October and just write Authentic Manhood on there. But this is one of the best things that I learned from it when I first sat through a season of that. Reject passivity. Because us too, like as adults, whether you're a dad or not, there is so much that we just kind of absorb. And life is so busy and so many things make so many demands on us. That if we're not doing stuff on purpose, we're just going to get caught up in this flow and things begin to control our lives that we don't really want them to. You know, maybe things that we've learned from our dad or from other areas, but what would it look like to take it or leave it on purpose? Not to be passive and just flow with life and hope it all works out, but to slow down and be thoughtful like Hezekiah and say, what do I want to leave behind and what do I want to take with me? Because that's what he does in these next couple verses. It says he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. You see the difference for Hezekiah, the thing that he was gonna take with him after all the things he left behind, he wanted God in control of his life. trusted in the Lord God of Israel and I love this phrase it uses here that he held fast to the Lord because we see this part about obeying his commandments and you know a lot of the old covenant in the Old Testament is like obey equals blessing and safety disobey equals like corruption and captivity so logically speaking I don't even know if I really care about the Lord but I'll follow the commandments because that's going to be good for the country right but what you actually see with these kings is that it's so far beyond just like God sets down a book of rules. We're supposed to follow it and then I'll meet him again when we die. Right? The reason they follow them is because they love God. And this phrase, hold fast, it's like put your arms around God like a bear hug. Lock your hands together and no matter what life brings, do not let go. Because you trust this Heavenly Father. That's where you see that Hezekiah's relationship with God goes way beyond the political sphere. He has a personal relationship that he wants to hold on to him like a little kid holds on to their dad. I remember once when I was, it's it's, it's one of those weird things, like you don't know how old you are, but it's like the first real memory you have. I was at some party with my parents, I'm like three years old maybe, and I panic because I don't know where my parents went. And I turn around, there's my dad. Oh, thank goodness. And I grabbed his leg, I held on as tight as he could. I was like, I am never letting go. And I looked up, and that is not my dad. (laughs) Then I really panicked, but I found him. I found him in the end, you know. But it's like, that's that thing that a child wants. Like, where do I turn in those moments? Who is the dad that I hold on to? And I love that this picture for Hezekiah demonstrates an incredible strength as a man. Because for him, in his life, he didn't feel like he could say, oh, I love my dad so much. I've always been able to give Ahaz a big hug whenever I needed it. He's always there for me. Like he had a dad who had a lot of things broken in his life. And yet Hezekiah found strength in following God. And so I wanted to share a story with you from my friend Jason. And I I asked him if it was all right for me to share this. Because I think it's really powerful, but it's also pretty painful. Because when Jason was growing up, his dad was an alcoholic. And Jason was telling me just how crazy it is to think back to that period of his life and what short-circuited for him because he felt like he was the one that had to protect his family from his own dad and so i just want to share you a little bit of this in his own words he says that i believe that god gave me the ability to love my father even when he was not a good father even when he was hurting me and my family i was given the ability to see him as someone who was hurting who was angry and broken With no faith, no relationship with his creator, no relationship with his heavenly father. Not knowing God's love for him. Which Jason didn't know as a kid either. He says, I hated the alcohol, but I loved my dad. I was angry with him for choosing alcohol over us, but I was able to forgive and pray for him. So I didn't hate him, but I hated the pain he carried. I hated his choices and it made me sad that he did not know God. I couldn't fix it for him. He had to choose. And Jason told me how as he got older, as he really discovered who God was and put his faith for Christ in the first time as an adult, how that's reshaped the way he thinks about a dad because now he's looking to a heavenly father. Now he's trying to pass that on to his own kids. And so he knew that his dad had to choose that for himself. He says, then the miracle happened. After 40 years of addiction, and heavy drinking every day, it happened. He said he was done and he actually was. After 40 years, I got my father back. I never thought it could happen. And it's amazing to hear him just describe the way that it was like he'd met his father for the first time and the repair that they've been doing over the last few years and and rebuilding a relationship that really was never there before. I thought, what an incredible picture of holding fast to the heavenly father. That we know the people around us are, maybe our fathers, maybe our kids, they have their own choices to make, right? Like even Hezekiah, like as he makes all this wonderful change, he's going to have a son who goes completely off the rails. And yet Jason, like Hezekiah, found his strength in God alone, that that is the one that he holds fast to. I think you could say that Jason knows that the Lord is with him. And that's exactly how it describes Hezekiah in verse 7. It says the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So essentially, like, unlike many of the kings before him, he decided, I'm not going to pay you guys off. I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to be your vassal. I'm going to trust the Lord. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now, it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmanassar, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. So Samaria, as the capital of Israel, the enemy comes and takes over. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria. And so that's what we saw Ryan describe last week. This moment of finality. And he put them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Here's why. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And they would neither hear them nor do them. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So where are we at here in this history? So essentially what this is saying is things have gone so far south that Israel, the neighbor to the north, has been destroyed. Taken into captivity. So now if you're Hezekiah, king of Judah in the south, kind of like the buffer is gone. The enemy has captured your neighbor and now the enemy is knocking at your door. What's he gonna do? Well, this is part of where he probably feels more prepared because of the military prowess he could learn from his dad. In fact, one of the things that Hezekiah is most famous for is not only that military strength, but also that he was an incredible architect and builder. And so at this moment, one of the things that he built is known as the outer wall, which is kind of a funny name for it now because these ancient cities, they tend to build up on top of it and they build out. So this is Hezekiah's outer wall that now looks like a stone path through the middle of the city because most of it is underground. They've built up over it in the centuries since and out around it. So the outer wall now goes right through the middle of Jerusalem. But just to give you a sense of size, there's a little boy about halfway up on the right side wearing a black sweater and a collared shirt. This wall was massive, 23 feet wide, And part of what was so impressive about it was not only how big it was, but how quickly they built it when they knew that the enemy was at the door. That he had taken all of the other cities and now it's like only Jerusalem was left. The other thing Hezekiah is famous for building that would have helped in this exact situation is known as Hezekiah's tunnel. You see, historically, Assyria's main way of defeating a city was to besiege it. Surround it with their armies and wait till everybody inside either starved to death or gave up. So, Hezekiah knew we had to have a solution for this. So, he went to a freshwater source outside of Jerusalem, outside of that wall, and he had one team start digging at the water source, one team inside the city, and they dug a tunnel underground and met in the middle, which to me sounds like a huge mistake. Like, those things are not going to line up. <laughs> but they do line up. And in fact, over the course of this tunnel, it's about a third of a mile long. And over the entire thing, there's only a 12 inch drop in height so that the water will flow downhill into the city. That is a 0.06% precision on this tunnel. Which makes you realize maybe these ancient people aren't so stupid after all. With none of the modern tools and none of the modern technology, he was prepared for the enemy's attack. And yet look what happens in verse 14. It says, Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying... I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. What happened to trusted in the Lord and held fast to the Lord and now he's trying to pay off the enemy which so many kings have done before him and it fails every time. It's like God wants them to see I don't want you to trust in your money. I don't want you to trust in the nations around you. I want you to trust in me. But it makes sense that Hezekiah would be afraid because Assyria still as we look back through history is one of the most violent, the most vicious, the most successful but the most brutal empires in history. And I won't go into all of the ways that they prove that to us right now. Except to say, you've got to check out these panels from the throne room of King Sennacherib. The current king of Assyria. Because this is one of the time periods in the Bible that we have the most archaeological evidence from. And part of it is because Assyria kept very good archaeological records bragging about all the places they beat up. (laughs) So when you walked into Sennacherib's throne room... In Nineveh, you would see these panels and every panel represents a battle that they had won with clear depictions of how they built siege ramps, how they defeated the enemy, how they treated the captives. The idea being that if you had a meeting with King Sennacherib, as you walk into his man cave, You are so impressed by everything you see on the way in that by the time you get to his throne, you just pull out the checkbook and say, what's it going to take for me not to go to war with you? (laughs) So guys, dads, imagine if this is your man cave, right? That everybody who walks in all along the walls are things about how amazing you are. So that by the time your family gets to you in the easy chair, they just say, you know, you're wonderful. (laughs) that ever happened to you? That's going to happen to me someday, I think, maybe. But no wonder Hezekiah is afraid. Because on the human level, he cannot stand up to Assyria. Even with the wall, even with the tunnel, they're surrounded. And yet a moment comes when Hezekiah is going to realize that even paying him off isn't going to work. In fact, he actually gets a letter from the king of Assyria that says basically like, Hey, thanks for all the gold and silver. We're coming to destroy you anyway. And he panics. Like all of the other human things, all, like even this mistake of paying them off has failed. What is he going to do now? And so I'm actually going to sneak over to chapter 19 just a little bit. This is actually from next week, but I want you to see this. Because in chapter 19, verse 14, Hezekiah has received this letter from the enemy saying, we're going to destroy you. And look at what he does with it. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord And spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. If God is a heavenly father, then Hezekiah knows no matter what happens, no matter what mistakes he's made, no matter how many times he might feel like he did it the wrong way or his dad's going to be mad at him. Think about this. Like you put this in our vernacular, the house of the Lord is the temple, but it's because they viewed that as like where God lives, where you meet with God when you need to talk to him. Like that video we saw when you're going, dad, the grill's on fire. Like, Where's dad? He goes to dad's house. He goes over to dad's house and he says, did you see this? Did you see what he said? So maybe you're not unrolling a scroll But maybe it's a diagnosis. And maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a memo. Maybe it's something that you cannot believe this person has said this to you. Or that this has happened again. You're like, dad, did you see this? And Hezekiah runs to his father in that moment. You see, so often we think that God is like distant. That he created the world, gave us a bunch of rules, and he's waiting to see how bad we screw it up. But actually... He's a father. He's compassionate. He's a dad that like every example in that video, when you celebrate, when you're sad, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you don't know what to do, hey, run over to dad's house real quick and ask him what he thinks about this whole thing. And God says, that's what I'm here for. In fact, look at how God answers him in verse 20 of that same chapter. Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Because you have prayed to me, I have heard. Now, of course, when he's busy paying off the king, there's nothing to hear, right? He's not talking to dad. But how many times do we feel like maybe God doesn't care, maybe He wouldn't listen, maybe I've screwed up too much? Why, why would why would He want to help me? No hesitation from Hezekiah now. God, I tried my own way; it didn't work. Did you see this letter? And God says, "Hey, because you came to talk to me, I'm listening." I have heard, and God is going to deal with it directly, but I'm not gonna tell you exactly how, because that's just your teaser to come back next week and check out chapter 19. But here's the encouragement that comes from it. Talk to the Lord like a father. The same thing with prayer, like that's all prayer is, right? If it's talking to the Lord, and sometimes we get this picture in our head that we've gotta say the right words, we've gotta say them the right way, or we just kind of fall into this rote thing, dear God, thanks for the food, amen. But man, talk to him like a father. You know, like in that video, or or, or like my own kids, when they roll their eyes at me, dad. You know, when they come running for help, dad. And look, human fathers are not perfect. So there are times where I hear dad, and that is the sweetest sound to know that my kid wants my help. And there are other times where I'm like, I didn't know they knew I was here. (laughs) Right? When I'm rolling my eyes at them, and I'm like, oh, I better look away while I roll my eyes at them, right? Like, we're not perfect. But that's where it's so helpful to know that the heavenly father is not the reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of everything that a father can be. That's why we were singing about his love this morning. I had coffee with a dad from Horizon the other day. And as we sat there talking about what we love about God, we just realized a huge part of it is his love for us. And how easy it is to forget to just wake up in the morning and realize you've got a dad in heaven who loves you. And I felt very thankful just in my own life. I have a great relationship with my dad. I love him. He is always helpful for me. And I can't tell you how many times a week still, you know, something with the car, something with the house, something with my kids, boop, 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 dad, and he still takes my calls. Isn't that nice? And it always starts with like, dad, I got a quick question for you. And then at the end, you look at it, it says 42 minutes. (laughs) Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hey, thank you for taking my call today. Hope you didn't have anything else to do. But I remember that I've I've always known that I could run to him because he's just been this way my whole life, you know. And I remember one specific occasion that really like rang true that I'll just never forget because we were on vacation and driving back, we were stopping by Uncle John's house. And we just had like one night to hang out with Uncle John and his family. Um, They are tons of fun. But man, I felt sick. Like I don't know what happened, but it was like, if you've ever had migraines, it was like the worst migraine I've ever experienced. Where I just would do anything to make this pain go away. Took medicine. I'm laying on a couch in a dark room while everybody else is like having fun at the party. Just wishing I could fall asleep so I wouldn't feel this anymore. And I remember, man, as I was just suffering, and my dad came into the room. Got down on the floor, all six foot five of him. And sat next to me. Didn't say a word. Just started rubbing my head for over half an hour until I finally fell asleep and I thought about the things he was missing out on to be there with me and it's like it's just one of the clearest memories I have that I knew my dad just loved me just wanted to take care of me and as I've gone through my life I think back to those moments that when there are times where I feel like I've screwed up and I'm gonna have to tell dad you know what though it's the same dad that rubbed my head when I had that migraine at Uncle John's house And that is so much of how our heavenly father is. He is so compassionate. And so many times I think we begin to avoid him because we feel like we've screwed up. Or we feel like it's not important enough. You realize that Jesus Christ is your heavenly father. All infinite size of him. Getting down next to you. Saying I love you. I have compassion for you. I want to help you. In fact as Hezekiah modeled his life. After his father David. One of the things that he would have read. Is that we actually have journals and poems. And songs that David wrote. And one of those we call Psalm 103. Where David himself describes. How to understand God as a father. And so it says in verse 13 and 14. Of that Psalm. That as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. Like. God knows we're only human. And that word pities could also be translated has compassion on. That God has compassion on us. Because hey, he's the one who made you. He knows you're human. He knows we make mistakes. And earlier in that same psalm, David actually describes the very character of God. So if this is what God is like as a father, oh, he's compassionate. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. That means like even more mercy than you actually need. That he doesn't always strive with us. He doesn't harbor his anger forever. Right? This idea that he's not always accusing us for everything that we've gotten wrong. Because he's compassionate and gracious toward us. And I love that psalm because one, I need that from a father. I need that from my heavenly father. Oh, thank God you are compassionate and merciful. Because uh, here's the thing that happened, Right? Here's where I need your help. Here's where, I know we talked about this before, it happened again. And if I think it's always going to be a battle between me and God, then maybe I'm afraid to come talk to him. But he doesn't always strive with us. He doesn't harbor his anger forever. In fact, it says as far as the east is from the west, he removes those mistakes from us. Because as a father has compassion on his children, so does the Lord on those who fear him and follow him. And so my encouragement for you today just like Hezekiah, trust the Lord like a perfect father. In fact, I'd encourage you, just a simple takeaway this week. Sometime this week, maybe even today. I've been doing this over the last couple weeks. and It's been really profound for me to just take Psalm 103 and pray that back to God. And so that part of it, including what I was just describing, is actually printed in the program today. If you want to use that. And how simple it is to just like take each of those lines. God, thank you that as my heavenly father, you are merciful and gracious toward me. Would you help me be merciful and gracious towards my kids as I lead them? Would you help me not always strive with them or harbor my anger forever? God, thank you that you're abounding in mercy. Help me have mercy too. One of the most powerful things you can do is just take God's word and pray it right back to him. That whatever celebration or crisis you face, you can run to your heavenly father. And so in just a moment, the band is going to come out and play one more song with exactly that mindset. That whatever we face, we can run to our heavenly father. So let's do that right now as we pray to him. God, we are just humbled. And honestly, it's kind of shocking sometimes to just realize we can get used to the idea. But... That you are God of the entire universe. A planet with over 7 billion people. And yet you are right there every time we need to unroll the scroll and say, God, did you see this? I don't know what to do about what just happened in my life. We thank you that we can run to you as our Heavenly Father. That you stoop down to show us compassion and love and grace. And so God, I even just pray over the fathers here today and over myself. That you would help us as parents, as mentors, as family members, as friends to follow your example, the father that we run to. And we'll thank you for all of this in your name. Amen.